Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. And this morning we're going to uh, open up to uh, verse 12 through verses 17. Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 17. Let's read it together. <clears throat> so just to remind you, hey, we've gone through this whole entire, uh, starting with chapter 12, where uh, he's encouraging people, hey, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, hey, let's throw off any, everything that hinders, and let's run the race. And so they're in the middle of this race, and then he kind of breaks this up by saying, hey, but don't lose heart because you're going to be disciplined. You're, you're going to be getting closer to holiness as you're running this race. And so I know it's hard. I know people will start persecuting you. And so he kind of ended off with that, and then we start in right with this. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak, weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son of a single, for a single meal. You know that afterwards when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for the repentance, too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. Would you pray with me this morning? Hey God, as we dive in to this scripture. These are your words spoken to us and they have life. And they move our hearts closer to you and they speak to us and give clarity and guidance. And so Lord, would we open our hearts to you and would your Holy Spirit do its work in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. If you know a little bit about me, uh, one of the things you might know is I love to cook. Um, in fact, actually, I'm the main cook for our family, and so uh, a lot of you know that. And every once in a while, I kind of go on these little swings of, oh, I'm going to figure out how to cook this now. And so probably a couple years ago, I had this kick to create Chinese food. And so any sort of Chinese food recipe I could get my hands on, I was creating it. And so then I kind of switched from that and kind of just got in a funk to just good old classic, like, let's go back to a classic American food, right? And so lately, um, I've been on a new kick. Um, and so I picked up this book. And every once in a while, I just like to pick up a uh, biography um, by some people, and the autobiography that I'm reading right now is uh, called uh, Aaron Franklin's Barbecue Manifesto. And so if you've ever been down to Austin, Texas, um, he has th this uh, barbecue shop that is just bananas. Since he opened up this place in 2013, they have sold out of meat every single day since then. I don't know when, when they closed uh, down, um, like for 
holidays, but I'm telling you, this guy cooks uh, probably over 65 briskets a day. He cooks nine, uh, over 150 racks of ribs and all this other stuff, pulled pork, and he, he sells out of it all the single time. And so um, here's the deal. I, I want you to uh, kind of dive into this world with me. And so I'm going to show you a two-minute clip of his world, and I'm going to kind of go into a little bit of, um, of why this matters this morning. And so would you check this out? I only barbecue for people I love. That's true. Very true. Work. Well, it means too much. It's, yeah. too, it's too much, you know. Barbecuing means something. Don't want to waste it on just lame people. <laughs> I would stitch that into a sampler and put that on a wall, I think, because, I mean, the truth is, like, there's so many details involved. And you're a fairly relaxed barbecuer because you've done it for so long. I mean, you're, you're a bit zen -like. Well, I'm just fairly relaxed anyway. See, I have been told by barbecue people, like a guy from Mississippi watched how I tended my pit, and he put his arm around me and he said, son, you gotta learn to walk away. You're never gonna be a real barbecue man if you fuss like this. You know, I always think that doing things the hard way will ultimately net the best results. I totally think so. Yeah, but there's really, at the end of the day, there's no substitution for labor. Like, you can't cheat time. Mm -hmm. It takes whatever it takes. Yeah. You know, and there's no, you can't like, you know, you've got all these weird cookers that use like pellets and, you know, gravity feed this and all this stuff. Like, you can't, like, it's wood, fire, and meat. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. For me, the indicator, as I've learned to do this, is experiencing far less panic. Mm -hmm. Oh, anxiety will kill barbecue. Yes, I do. Boy, I that know that so well. That is the worst thing that guilty. could possibly happen. I have Oh, I'm guilty, too. I've totally done it. You have. Oh, yeah. Because that, that when you panic, you make the bad decisions, just like in then life. You start freaking out. Hotter, hotter, hotter. It's not done. It's not done. Hotter, hotter. Oh, it's burned. I, I remember a cook I had a, a month ago where uh, it wasn't getting done. It wasn't getting done, and I was struggling oh, with temperature. I hate that. Oh, it, it's Ugh. just so frustrating. And then I noticed that the pit, the fire door of my pit, was facing the wind. Ooh. And and the wind was coming into the pit. Mm -hmm. That it was just a breeze, but it was enough to caused spikes in the flame. Right. It was enough to cool off the chamber. Mm -hmm. All those kind of things were happening. So again, just another variable that you have to, you have to think about. It's almost like we're talking about a moon launch. <laughs> and so, a pit is just a fancy way of talking about this is how you cook your meat. It's a barbecue, right? And so it's a grill. And so when you're cooking a big piece of meat, like a brisket here, like he's got, hey, this takes about 11 hours to do. And so there's a certain point in time and actually where you put your meat in, and it's supposed to be about room temperature, so you put it in about 60, 70 degrees, and then you slide it into the barbecue, and it rises and it rises, and it takes about three hours to get to 165 degrees, right? And it gets there actually relatively fast while you're smoking and all that, and then it's called the dreaded stall. It's called the dreaded stall because at 165 degrees, what starts happening is what's called cooling or evaporated cooling, okay? So all of the juices in the meat, okay? Oh, doesn't that look so good? I know. And I'm just going to keep playing it. It goes for like four more minutes, y'all. So uh, it's called evaporated cooling and all of the juices that are in the meat are starting to come out, right? But as it evaporates, 
your meat actually cools down while you're cooking it. And so you keep a constant temperature on it and the meat just keeps on holding and keep on, keeps on holding. And sometimes if there's a certain temperature outside, if there's a wind like he's talking about, if you're not patient enough, if things aren't happening correctly, if, I mean, all of these different variables, we get super impatient. And sometimes, depending upon the variables, the stall lasts about an hour. I've had a piece of meat the other day, actually, that I put in at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I, didn't, I couldn't even get it off until 9 o'clock at night because it took 13 hours. Because the stall in that piece of meat took me four hours. And you just watch the temperature, and you're like, okay, it's almost there. And then it barely gets to 170. And once you get to about 180, by the time you, because you want to get it about 195 for the perfect cut because you want all of the fat just to kind of dissipate back into your meat. And so sometimes you get super impatient, right? And you just go, oh, I just, I got to, I got to take it off right now, okay? There's even some things that are called the Texas crutch down in Texas where if you take a piece of tinfoil, then you wrap it in the tinfoil as you saw here. The one he's doing right now is the very end one, right? Where it didn't have any wrap on it. But if you want to make it faster, there's certain ways you can, you can up the temperature. Well, what happens when you up the temperature? The very first video said, all of a sudden you go, oh, it's burnt, Right? And so there's this time where um, it's just about being patient. And also, if you know anything about me, I am not patient whatsoever. I don't have enough time to wait four hours. Right? And I think that's why I've, I'm loving this style of cooking because it is about being patient. It is about maybe finding different flavors, it's about taking something that's really hard to deal with, okay? a food that's really hard to deal with, that's a really tough piece of meat, and going, wait a second, we can make these things be one of the most tasty things ever. And I think as we're in this process, when I, when I introduce the title of this sermon, The Stall, you know, there's a question that a lot of you guys might be asking is, well, hold on a second. Are you the cook in this scenario? Are you the piece of meat in this scenario? Are you the, are you the grill in this scenario? Or what are you? I don't know. <laughs> I'd like to say this, that God is the cook and you are not, okay? I'd also like to say that you're maybe the piece of meat and some of you are really, really tough and it's going to take you years to cook or hours. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't even think I want to make that analogy. But what I want to make is this, is that what if it's about the cook, the cook process? What if it's about the process of us sitting in this? What if we're in a stall? Some of you may be in a loveless marriage right now trying to go, hey, let's get back together, but you don't feel like you can repair it. Some of you might be sitting here in a really hard situation medically going, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I want to keep going through this. Some of you might be a brand new Christian in this room and you've gone, wow, I was all on fire when I first started and now I don't understand what's going on. I barely understand God right now. Some of you are in, have been uh, in a relationship with God for years and you're sitting there going, well, I feel like I've been cooling off for way too long and maybe that's not right. God, I don't know where we're going. 
And this very beginning of the chapter 12 says, hey, let's get on this. Let's start the journey. Let's go. Because the end product is amazing. You saw three different ways of cooking this meat, and all of them came out really good. You should hear them talking about it, right? Man, and I wonder if we only look at our current situation and not the long game. I wonder how many of us are right now sitting in a stall. Maybe there's, man, maybe you've been cooking for a while and all of a sudden something has to change. Maybe something has to change in, man, I, I have to go a different direction. This is going to be really hard for me to do that change. What if I have to go in a completely different direction in my life with something? What if God is asking me to do something really hard and I'm not so sure I know how to do that? What if it's just continuing on in the path that God has asked you to do? And so today I think that there are five ways in which that happens through this text. That we can look at the stall and enjoy where we're at and push forward through to the very end. And so if you're taking notes with me this morning, let's look at verse 12. It says, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Very first one. Get a grip. Get a grip with the situation that you're at. Be honest with what's going on with yourself. You see, in this moment, what he's really talking about is this, is that some of you, he's talking, the author is talking to Everybody's writing to you going, in this moment, I know that you're struggling. Regrip. Have you ever watched somebody doing pull-ups and they just have to shake out their hands and get a new grip? Maybe it's getting grip, a grip on the current situation. What's really going on here? Maybe it's being honest with ourselves in the, in the next section in chapter 12 where it says, or not, sorry, not chapter 12, verse 12, where it says, strengthen your weak knees. This is another great way of saying this. Stop being afraid. Stop knocking your knees together going, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going on. Because we already know all the verses ahead of this that says Jesus is the one, Jesus is the way. Here we go. He is what we're working towards. And so if that's the case, get a grip. Stop being afraid of the current situation that you're in right now. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says this, With all of these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teachings we passed on to you, both in person and by letter. So not only do we need to get a grip on our situation, but it's also getting a grip on who God is. Do you need to be reminded today of the goodness of God? Do you need to be reminded today that Christ has already paid for all of our sin? There's nothing you can do. Last week, like we talked about, there's nothing you can do more or less that makes God love you more or love you less. He already has unconditional love for you. Get a grip. Verse 13. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. 
Look ahead, not just at your current situation. Look ahead, not just at your current situation. Once we get a grip, we can start the process of marking out a straight path. We do not allow the current situations to just blind us of what's going on, but we can look down into the future. We can look down the path and go, this is where I need to be. Because here's what I, I think usually happens, and, and I got this picture in my mind that we kind of become this, we, we start out life and we get, we get shot out, right? <laughs> and uh, it's almost like a pinball machine, if you will. We think that that's what life is, is that we've got this guy who's sitting with the buttons on the left or right, and every time we kind of just go around, we don't know exactly what our path, but we'll just bounce off of this and bounce off of that. What if we could look down and go, this is where God is asking me to go? Verses all over the Bible talk about this. Psalms 119.105 says, For your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. If you are wondering what's next, what's going on in life, this is where we're at right here. I want to dive into your word. God, I want your presence in my life. The way we look down the path and see those things is because God will reveal those things to us. Psalm 1611 you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasure of living with you forever. If God's our path, this is the hope. He'll show you. Here's the unfortunate thing. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says this. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. To be honest, that's the truth. Is that it's pretty narrow. It's not, it's not incredibly wide. It's narrow and we will see the things that we need to move out of our way. Mark out a straight path for your feet. I'll get back uh, just a little bit to the last verse of uh, the last section of that verse, which is so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. I thought about this yesterday quite a, quite a bit as I was looking at this section right here. Look ahead and not just at your current situation. Because it's pretty easy, right, to look at just what's going on right now, right in front of us, and think, man, poor, poor me. Or we look at it and go, I've got everything settled, I'm good right now. And what if God is calling us in to something different? Because, man, I was, I was sitting at this wedding that I, I did yesterday. And I was thinking about all of these friends that are hanging out together. And I felt like such an outsider, I felt like, yep, yeah, yeah, there's that token pastor doing his job, and he's, he's not as fun as anybody else. And I thought to myself going, why can't I be like that? Why can't I be fancy and free? And, and, and as I was driving home, I thought to myself, wait a second. 
Seth, what have I called you to? And are you going to, are you going to walk in that or are you just going to wish that you were on a completely different path? And his answer to me is, man, that's, I am dealing with those people by myself. Great people, right? There's a saying in, uh, there's a saying going around our staff right now that it is, hey, your convictions cannot be my convictions because that's up to God to talk to all of us. And so sometimes when we're in current situations, we would love to look at other people's process and other people's situations and go, man, I, I, I would know what to do in that. But instead, I wonder if we would just sit with God a little bit longer. If we would go to him and go, God, I know that this path is going to be difficult. I know that I might be in this stall for a little while longer. And the heat is not going to feel good. And I don't want you to rush it because if you put more heat on me, yeah, I might be done a lot quicker. But it, man, it's not going to be as good tasting. Or we just want the process to stop and we end up just being raw or tough or not changed at all. And so would we be willing to look ahead and not just at our current situation? Would we be able to see the end goal, which really is eternity? It is constantly being with God. And he goes on in verse 14 right away to go, and since you guys know these things, since you're getting a new grip and you're straightening your path, here's what I want you to do. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Simply put, this is what I want you to write down is this. Live heaven now. We can look forward to the future and look ahead at things, but God is calling us to in every situation, in every moment, will you live heaven now or will you just wait for heaven to be a future thing? Jesus says this over and over again. He says, the kingdom of God is here now. He doesn't say the kingdom of God will come later. He says the kingdom of heaven is here now. Now, we know that it's not fully because we're not in heaven there are tons of verses that bring us back to going, this is what heaven will be like. This is what it's going to be like when you treat each other well. And I want to read this rather lengthy verse to you guys, but, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time pulling it out, but I, I just, I think this verse section is absolutely beautiful. And so let's read it. Romans 12, 9 through 21. And this is what it says. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, not hate what is wrong in them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. There's that hope word again. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. 
Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are, ha who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Man, I love that. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay back. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. What a great piece of scripture. Man, if we could all do that, that is living heaven now. And so in the midst of this, work at living in peace with everyone. Work at living a holy life. For those who are not, will not see the Lord. If we can't live heaven now, how can we be in heaven later? And the only way I can say that is by the grace of God. Verse 15. Look after each other so that none of you will fail to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. The only thing I can think about this is, is right here, is you are not alone. This is not an alone type of thing. There is no new situation that anybody ever comes into my office with or, <laughs> or is having a problem with that somebody else hasn't gone through. And I think about the verse in, back in verse 13 where it says, mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. And this is, this is not just about you. This is not just about you going through your own thing and gritting and bearing it and getting a grip and going, I got this by myself, I'm gonna push through and I'm gonna live heaven whether nobody else is with me or not. No, this is doing this together. Hebrews 10.25 says this, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Man, now that the day of God is coming closer and closer and heaven is becoming closer, man, we can't fall behind. I was really struck also yesterday as I was thinking about, do I really love the gospel enough to share it with everybody around me? Or do I separate myself from people and go, well, I guess I'm the pastor. I can't be with other people. And do I love the gospel enough to bring other people along? In fact, actually, do you know what one of the best ways to help getting, a uh, getting over a stall in your barbecue is actually to set a pot of water in the cook chamber with it because what happens is, is the humidity in the cook chamber brings everything together. And so the piece of meat actually doesn't sweat as much, okay? And it holds its temperature and it's able to then keep on heating up interesting that the easiest way to stop a stall is to enter in something with it, which is the stall is the evaporation of water. And so you introduce more water into the mixture 
man, it goes that much faster. I wonder if we would be people in the moment that we're going through, we're going through anything, we're a part of a Bible study or we're a part of asking people to come alongside of us, we're allowing people to be praying for us instead of going, nobody knows what I'm going through. And sure, people will disappoint us all the time. It's absolutely correct. People will fail us, or as soon as we put something out there, it means that people get the ability to chastise us or say, ah, get over it. Or maybe they might just come along you and go, alongside of you and go, man, I, I completely understand. But if we're asking people to know exactly what's going on in our hearts, I don't know how... I don't know how we can do that together. It's more alone than it is together. And this very last part of the section in verse 16 through 17, it says, make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterwards when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. This is, <laughs> this story is unbelievable. When Jacob and Esau, Jacob is sitting down cooking dinner and Esau comes back from a long hunt and obviously it wasn't successful because he was really hungry. So he sits down and his brother, right, wrong, or indifferent, it doesn't matter. His brother sits there and says, hey, I'll give you a bowl of soup if you'll give me your birthright. And what does he do? He says, sure, I'm so hungry, give me some food. So he signs off, signs off his birthright. He doesn't feel any repentance at all about that. In fact, actually, he, uh, I'm, I'm not so, it doesn't, the story doesn't say much except for, I don't, I don't think much changed in Esau's life after that. I don't think he really understood that that momentary pleasure actually affected his reward in the end. He didn't understand the treasure that was going on. He didn't understand the beauty of what it means to be his birthright. And I'm telling you, he knows. His, his grandpa is Abraham. He knows. He knows that there's this story about his dad coming along. And so what does he do? He allows a momentary pleasure, momentary pleasure to destroy eternal rewards. And so if you're taking notes, don't allow that. Don't allow a momentary pleasure to destroy eternal rewards. Because in the very end, I don't know if he's really all that concerned about moving on in, in Esau's life, moving on the blessing or the promise that God has given his family. And so only when he doesn't get the blessing does he actually have tears. When he realizes the reward isn't there anymore is when he has tears. And the author right here in this book is saying, don't wait until it's way too long. Don't wait until the very end of things do you sit there and go, well, wait a second. 
I feel really bad right now. I should have thought about it differently. I'm sorry. But instead, if we would have been getting a grip and if we would have been looking ahead towards current situations and living heaven now and knowing that it's a community of us together to not do it alone, the momentary pleasures or pain or whatever we're going through will not destroy our eternal rewards. I'm going to ask uh, the closing song to come up, and, and I want to finish with one last verse. It's another long one. And I don't want to get into it and uh, dissect it, but I, I think that you'll get the picture here. That as we are going through the stall in our life, I don't know if I want to come to the point of needing the Texas crutch. I don't know if I, I want to come to a point where I'm impatient and I turn out raw or I turn out way overcooked. I want to sit in the process with God and know that he is taking care of things and I, and I want to know his goodness. And the song that they're going to sing is called, uh, It Is Well. But I need you to know something before they even sing that is this verse um, wraps up everything we're talking about in a pretty little bow. And, and I want to read it and then I want to uh, listen to this song and then Brian will come and close us. But um, it happens to be the section of one of my favorite verses. It's in Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 34. This is what it says. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Whatever your treasure is there, the desire of your heart will be also. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are. Can all your wor worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about the things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. 
but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. This is the kicker. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles is enough for today. The stall is very real. And I wonder, what is our reaction when we're in the middle of it? Do we just want to get it done and over with and ask God to put more heat on it? Do we just want to be done with it and not go through it and not be come out at the end the way we're supposed to? Or are we willing to get a grip? Are we willing to look past our current situations and the path that God has us? Are we willing to understand that we're not alone in this whole situation? And are we willing not to allow momentary pleasures to take us away from eternal rewards? Because I think that the last piece of scripture isn't a call to laziness. It's actually a call to find out what God really desires from us. And through it all, it's, it is well.
I think, I, I think what I want to share is that um, we usually want what's easy. We don't even realize it sometimes. Um, we, don't, we don't stick through the hard things to see them to the end result. Um, I, I especially feel with like cell phones and social media that it, it becomes easier and easier just to, to block the things that are hard, to um, turn on filters, to make it seem like it's easier. Uh, I was in Africa. Uh, last month, and there was a guy that was showing us this this new kind of brick. And so, when you're in a third world country, most of them make their houses out of the mud that's where they bought their land. And so, um, they're they're usually pretty poor, 
Um, not, not the people, the people are, but the bricks. The bricks aren't very good because their mix isn't usually good with, with the amount of uh, cement that they can buy uh, to mix in with the mud and then the water. And, and so a lot of times they'll buy a bag um, of this mix and mix it with the mud and they want to sp spread it out as far as possible. So if the bag says 22 bricks, they're going to do 44 bricks. It's not a really good thing. Um, and so this guy had this new method for making bricks, which the, the key was on the, the mix of the brick. And, and he, he said a statement that's been ringing through my head, and today it finally kind of showed up, is he said if, if one of his structures that's made out of clay catches on fire, his house will be stronger after. Now, the things inside may be destroyed, but the brick is actually going through that fire and that heat um, is going to get stronger. And every fire after that will only make the building stronger and stronger and stronger. And it made me think that the, the key wasn't the fire. The fire destroys homes in our community all the time. They're made out of wood, and wood doesn't work that way, right? But if, we, if they were made out of clay, if they were made out of, out of something that, that steel, a lot of times those things get stronger in the heat. And so it depends on, on the thing being heated, what it's going to do. And so if you're going through hard times, and I think of the hard times in my life of, of my mom passing away uh, when I was younger uh, in 2007 uh, to, to hantavirus. What, what is that, right? Hantavirus. There's only been like 18 people in Montana that have ever died from that. My mom was one of them. And it just happened like that unexpectedly. I've, I've watched friends in combat die. Um, I've had to do funerals for, for anybody under the age of about 20 gets really hard to do those funerals. I know that a lot of us have also had that. And so then I'm thinking like, what's the similarity between all of us in this room? And it's actually not the good times. We're all going to be blessed differently. And I don't think those are the blessings. Our, our wealth, our lack of having to go through hard times, our good marriage the one thing that we're all going to have in common with everybody around the world is the hard times, the difficult times. How many of us have stubbed our toe, right? Like, we're going to have a lot in common with those people. But if I were to say, how many of us have stubbed our toe, and the few that raised their hand that, or didn't raise their hand, those would be the ones that didn't have a lot in common. And so it, it, it brought me to the story, and maybe some of you thought of the same thing. It's a pretty well-known story in, in children's ministry. Uh, but it's in Daniel, and I don't know if uh, I gave Brad enough time to, to get the verse up. But some backstory is, is Daniel had three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then the, the king of the time, Nebuchadnezzar, he made a, a statement that said, you can only worship my God. And it was not this God of the Bible. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we will not. And so the king got furious. And then this is where we pick up in chapter 3, uh, verse uh, 22, the king's command was so urgent. And so what he, I'm sorry, he got a furnace and said, we're going to burn these people that will not worship this God. Not, not the, the Bible God, but Nebuchadnezzar's God, whoever that is. Um, and, and so verse 22, the king's command was so urgent that the furnace, and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. The king Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. 
Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouting, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, uh, prefects, governors, all the royal officials, um, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. The thing we're going to have in common with everybody in this community around us is that we're going to be going through a fire at some point. We can't keep pointing to God at the good things, and so when they have bad things, they're like, well, God must not love me. It's the hard things. And are people going to see you dancing in the fire with someone that they didn't even know was there? Are they going to see you working through this stall, waiting for something unknown, with a guy that they didn't even know was in the fire with you. That's our goal. That's how we're going to reach our community. That's how we're going to help people, is not avoid the hard times, but to go through them dancing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Um, I pray that, that if we are going through hard times, Lord, uh, you've defined those in our own personal lives, the things that really are difficult for us to handle. Um, they may not even be outward things that we're going through, but all mentally inside of us and doubt and insecurities, um, unfaithfulness to you. Lord, there may be um, those things that are outward of health problems and marital problems and relational problems and job problems and housing problems and money problems. Lord, there's so many troubles that we can have and we pray that you dance with us in them. We pray that we can look forward to eternal grace with you. And the troubles of today will seem so small on your scale. Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you. Give us an opportunity this week to be able to share this with those around us. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at glasgowec.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.